Welcome to another episode of Tatum Talks with Kelvin Tatum and myself, Ian Brannan. As we look back on the closing stages of the 2023 campaign in both the Speedway Grand Prix and the Sports Insure Premiership and much more as well. Joining me then, as ever, is Kelvin Tatum. He's had a busy time. We've, we've not spoken for a while, Kelv, because you were so wrapped up in heading here, there and everywhere with Grand Prix uh, still to finish off. And then you had the, uh, the playoffs in the Premiership as well. So you're busy commentating, but quite a lot's happened. And we'll cover off some of that, starting with that, uh, that big moment in World Speedway where the reigning world champion Bartosz Schmarschlik was disqualified from the Voyager Danish Grand Prix for wearing the uh, the incorrect race suit, um, which you know is something that's never happened before in in Speedway, and and certainly not the like of which we've seen at this level of Speedway as well. And well, it was one of those things because it was it was there to see. He was wearing this this wrong race suit in the. Uh, in the, the qualifying, and, and it was there on, on TV. And then later in the afternoon, he's disqualified and he's, he's out of the meeting. And a sensational situation with him being really on the cusp of, of winning the world title at this point. Well, when you say everybody saw it, actually, during the qualifying, when he was wearing the incorrect suit, nobody actually in the pit area, his crew, his crew um, FIM on the ground, actually, nobody actually picked up on it at that point. It was actually somebody that um, was working for the rights holder that actually was um, instrumental in actually pointing it out that he was wearing his uh, league racing suit, I believe. Um, so that's how that came about. So it was slightly unusual that not even his team actually sort of pointed it out. But I guess because it was the same colour and they're so focused on what they were doing, um, they just didn't even think about it, to be perfectly honest. It was really dramatic and it was seemed harsh at the time. And I still believe that. I think it was a very harsh penalty to actually be DQ'd after qualifying wearing the wrong suit. A heavy fine possibly may have been more appropriate. But um, yeah, and, and it was really upsetting. He was very upset. I mean, I think it shook him up really badly. Um, and of course, he went into Voyans probably fully expecting, like most of us, to, to clinch his fourth world championship there. And it went from a 24-point lean. And as it turned out, he, he left, well, at the conclusion of that Grand Prix, it was, it was only six points. So, you know, all those scenarios, you know, the way the few days afterwards must have been really difficult for him. But it was, as you say, unprecedented. It's a law, it's a rule that's in the book that's a new one in regards to that suit if you're not wearing it um so yeah really tough one but uh you know in the end he came through in flying colors but that voyance and the way freddie lingren very nearly won it coming 18 points it all sort of like stacked up against but Bartosz Marslik. so um yeah yeah dramatic stuff very much so and as i say it didn't really sit easy with me having been both sides of the fence i just thought at the time it was Okay, I understand rules are rules, but it just seemed rather draconian, that one. Um, he didn't really gain an advantage from it. It's not like he top qualifying because he was wearing that suit. Um, in actual fact, he had one of his poorer qualifying sessions, but um, there we are. So we, we moved on. But I'll tell you what, the atmosphere in the place was just what a mood hoover it was. You know, it was just really, really flat. Um, and as I say, it, 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 I think when it all went down, I think 
you know, Phil Morris, the, uh, you know, everybody to do with running the event. I think it was, I think they were all a little bit like, crikey, what have we done almost? You know, what, what are we doing? Is this right? It didn't feel right, Ian. It just didn't feel right. It seemed way over the top, but there we are. It seemed to me that they were sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because it, it had happened, it had been pointed out, and the rule book was pretty straight yeah. down the line of this is that the, there was no flexibility in the rule book i mean i saw phil explaining it on on discovery and uh you know he looked fairly shocked himself really that it was like well he's we've had to disqualify him but because that's what we have to do there was no flexibility in the in the rule book and i guess if you do start no. if you do start f- flexing that rule or a rule then something else happens in the meeting then you've got nowhere to go have you then once you've once you've gone back on it but maybe the rule book needs a bit more clarity next year i would think it just needs to be revised and as i say um whether it will be or not i'm not i'm not entirely sure but i think um it, i'm sure it's going to be discussed but um as i say yeah i i haven't been quite, i haven't been involved you know it was i was completely naive to it i was at the other side of the pit area just chatting and talking killing time effectively before the meeting walked up back up into the pits just to have a chit chat to just waste a bit more time and then of course I was informed, and you're right about Phil Morris. I think I think it was one of the hardest things that Phil Morris has ever had to do. I really do to go and tell the you know the current world champion, championship leader, fully expected to win that day his fourth championship. I'm sorry, mate, but you've got to go home, and uh, that must have been a tough one. So um, yeah, extraordinary, a decent Grand Prix in the end, but obviously the undercurrent of Smarslick being DQ'd sort of overrode uh, Leon Madsen's victory there. But a good a good meeting for Leon Madsen. He, he you know, running around the track, he, he was excited about his win. And the Danish fans, obviously, they've been starved of victories and voins, actually, you know, when you look back in history. But, uh, no, it was, a, it was a, good, um, a good moment for him. And, of course, 18 points for, for Freddie, giving himself half a chance going into Torrent. And it did set it up um, very nicely for the for the uh, neutral fan, and and also really an unusual situation for for Bartosz Schmarschlik to be under a bit of pressure going into that final Grand Prix because Freddie was there breathing down his neck. If 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 Bartek you know did come unstuck in any in any way, then really it could have been very you know twitchy towards the end of that. And of course the the top six still wasn't fully solved as well. So there was lots to race for in Torrent. Well, yeah, everything was up for grabs, all three medals. Um, and you say, you rightly say, there's top six as well. So it was one of those nights where, you know, through that decision in Voyance, all of a sudden it put a huge spotlight, massive pressure. And what Schmarslick must have gone through those couple of weeks, having been in the comfort zone to being under pressure, you know, he's got plenty of time to sort of reflect on trying to get his head around what he needed to do. Um, even right from the qualifying in Toron, they were sort of slugging it out between themselves with, you know, bettering themselves on, on the timing sheet. Um, and in truth, you know, they, they both battled really hard. And, but Smarslik was always doing enough, you know, to mean he, he didn't slip up. Um, and it was great. It was great sporting theatre. It really was. And it was a fantastic conclusion. And coming down to the last race, the final race of the final Grand Prix, and he just nailed it, didn't he? He just nailed it and, and cleared off out in front. Um, and, 
you know, particularly after Freddie's performance in the semi-final where he had made a fabulous start and had sort of, again, put him under pressure. He didn't let him off the lead at all. Fair play to him. But in the end, uh, I, I believe the right winner won the World Championship, you know, and um, it was a great conclusion. It was a full house as always. Martin Vashlik coming through into third place. Jack Holder just running out of steam. So the medals went down that way. So... Um, yeah, a brilliant, a brilliant conclusion to quite a controversial end. But I think in the, uh, I think everybody would be, I think everybody agrees he was the right winner. He won what? He won five Grand Prix in nine that he took part in. So that's pretty, pretty uh, dominant performance in 2023. <laughs> yes, I, I would say it was reasonably comprehensive uh, in the end, uh, despite that little wobble, of course, um, just uh, in that uh, second to final round with uh, what happened at Voyons. Uh, on to 2024 then, we know the top six and the five permanent wild cards for next season have been revealed. Great Britain icons Dan Bewley and Ty Woofenden return to the series. They're joined by three riders making their full-time debut in the Speedway Grand Prix. Dominic Kubera, Andre Lebedevs and Kai Huckenbeck becomes his country's first SGP full-timer since Martin Smolinski in 2014. Jan Kvek entering as well. It all got fairly uh, complicated really because there were uh, riders getting in there who um, finished next in line from the challenge and with um, uh, Robert Lambert and uh, also... um, Jason Doyle qualifying, uh, that gave further opportunities to those finishing uh, in the GP Challenge, didn't it? Yeah, it's quite complicated, that. But because Robert Lambert ended up in sixth place, Ian, that enabled uh, Jan Kovec, who finished fifth in the Challenge, to be promoted into being a permanent wildcard, a permanent uh, Grand Prix rider. Um, so Jason Doyle, obviously, he, he qualified by the, by the fact that he won the Challenge. Wozniak uh, is in because he finished third. Um, and then you had Robert Lambert in fourth, but because he finished sixth, then Yankovic is promoted into being a, an SGP rider. So, yeah, you know, uh, top six looked quite handy. Bewley just fell away at the end, ran out of steam. I think he was tired, in truth. You know, I think he had so much racing at the back end of the season with all the playoffs and all of his commitments. Just think he was running on empty a bit. Robert Lambert came on pretty strong. Ty Woofenden obviously um, got no argument with that wild card. Um, got injured at a crucial moment, just when he was beginning to show some really good form again, actually, Woofenden. So, um, yeah, good good that he's back. But um, it then gets a little bit more sort of, uh, I think there will be some question marks over some of the wild cards. Depends how you look at it, doesn't it? Obviously, a lot more opportunity for some riders who haven't appeared in the Grand Prix before or or indeed uh, been in it regularly. But, of course, in order to make way, there are some big names who have dropped out of the series, and most notably Max Frick and and Matze Janowski. But um, it it is going to be interesting to see how this goes with some of those regular faces now not involved and new faces coming in. Yes, exactly. And I think that, again, is unprecedented ordinarily. It's like one that you get one new face on the turnaround from year to year. Um, so they've, they've, they've had a change of uh, thought process there, change of tack. Um, I look at the lineup and I think it's weaker as a consequence. Um, with respect to Lebedev's, Kai Huckenbeck, Jan Kovec, 
Wozniak, Kubera. Mm, I don't know if that makes the lineup stronger. In my opinion, it doesn't. I think um, I think it's tough on Max Frick and Matzajanowski. I think Frick will feel that he'd done possibly just enough. Um, he had a, he wrote with an injury right at the end. He frustrates at times, Frick, because he looks great and then he disappears. But I think time will tell whether those wild cards are better. Lebedev's had plenty of opportunity last year. I think uh, he's probably as good as he's going to be. I think he's a real try. He's a real sort of a bull of a rider, hard charger. But I don't think he's... I'd be surprised if he starts making finals next year. Kai Hukenbeck, lovely guy, professional guy. He's had plenty of opportunities of wild cards. As I say, I think... Uh, I, I, I sense from the reaction anyway, I think it's not been universally supported. I think there's been quite a lot of negative reaction to the way they've selected the wild cards this year in the lineup. And uh, Mickelson gets in because he won the European Championship but had a really poor campaign at Grand Prix. He's going to have to up his game massively. But um, you could almost sort of like pick the top eight now, effectively, if you go on, you know, uh, history. So... Um, they've certainly had not make it any, they definitely haven't made it harder for Bartosz Marslik to win his fifth world championship. What they, what they have done is, um, expand the amount of countries that have a home rider in it now. So there are nine countries represented in the Grand Prix. So Poland, Sweden, Slovakia, Australia, Denmark, Great Britain, Latvia, Germany, and the Czech Republic all have a full-time representative. Um, looking at the substitutes as well, um, we mentioned Max Frick and Matt Sejanowski. They are the first two substitutes. So if anybody gets injured, and there's a reasonable chance of that, I think in, in Speedway, I think I don't think there's been many seasons where, or if any, we've gone through without a substitute coming in at some point. And some of those could, of course, be for a, a, long, a long period as well I mean we don't want anybody to get injured but somebody could go down for the majority of, of the Grand Prix series so Max Frick would be first call followed by Matt Sejanowski then Kim Nilsson of course a rider in 2023 who could be featuring again in 2024 and then we're getting further down the substitutes list now so maybe less likely to see them but uh, Rasmus Jensen was fourth choice Luke Becker is five Dimitri Berger at six and uh, Matthias Cherniak is seventh choice Fairly unlikely that we'll we'll see all seven of them in a, in a Grand Prix. One thing that has been suggested in terms of the substitutes, it would maybe be an idea for them to sort of rotate, so that if you come in, uh, you know, when your turn is over, then you go back to the bottom of the pile again, maybe. And some of these ones further down the list might might get an opportunity over the course of the season, because of course Max Frick's going to get first shot every chance, isn't he? But um, those, those are the substitutes. We, we we spoke about Luke Becker. Uh, quite a bit. Obviously, he hasn't made the the full lineup, but he is there as a substitute. He is, and there was a big push with Luke. He had the opportunity to ride in Torren as a consequence of injuries to Jankovic, actually, um, who had broken his arm. So he turned up. He was a little nervous, I sensed, um, but he didn't really disgrace himself. But I don't think he's ready to be a full time Grand Prix rider just yet. He's uh, clearly. Greg Hancock is playing a role there alongside him. And who's to say that he won't come on leaps and bounds in the next year or two? I think he's I think he's like twenty-four. Um he's a nice rider, he's a he's a talented rider. I think it's just mentally having the capacity to take it to that level. Um 
but he's not ready. For, in my opinion, he's not ready for Grand Prix yet. But uh, rotating the substitutes, uh, I think it's not a bad idea, actually. It's not something that I'd be actually given any thought to whatsoever. But I think actually giving one or two, particularly the way it panned out this year, maybe one or two guys an opportunity to come back in. Um, but it is, as an overview with the way that the, the rider lineup is for, for next season, it's a huge change to the lineup. Huge change. And I. I, I I would argue with anybody it's not stronger for the for the change. Um, I hear what you say about nine countries represented in uh, next year's Grand Prix lineup, but in my opinion, the Grand Prix should would always be about the best riders in the world. You know, to me, yeah, you're going to go um, down that road yeah. here, and you're going to say, "Well, we need." Well, that's what people want to see, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. If you're going to go down that road, then we need an Italian rider. We need a Spanish rider, but they, they don't have any. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is, is that uh, with respect to Kai Hukenbeck, um, he, he, he hasn't done much, to be honest. He's a good rider, but is he a Grand Prix rider? Is he a Grand Prix winner? I know Matze Janoski. I think Matze Janoski was very unfortunate. He was third in the world in 2022. He was in that last race in Wrocław that actually clinched the Speedway World Cup for Poland. He's won at least eight Grand Prix. He has led the World Championship at times. He's had a poor season. I think I think that was tough on him, really tough on him not to, to get a wild card. And from the outside looking in, of course, it's not about balancing nationality because Dominic Kubera is coming, arguably ahead of... Janowski now in this. It, 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 it just seemed that Kubera was like somebody, I think the PZM must have wanted him in because to put him in front of Janowski seemed an odd decision. I, I didn't really get it. Um, but um, hey, look, 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 they may prove me entirely wrong. And in lots of ways, I hope they do. But um, on the evidence of racing, I've seen from those guys so far. And none of them are like young 20s. They're all quite established, quite mature riders. So the, 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 the chances that they're suddenly going to improve dramatically is, is remote. But as I say, they, I, I hope they prove me wrong. But for me, there is a complete, there's, like, there's like almost like a two-tier system within the Grand Prix right now. You've got genuine world-class riders, and there's probably six or seven of them. And then after that, you're gonna. You, it's very difficult to know what they're going to do at any time. We're still awaiting confirmation of the venues uh, and uh, you know the dates. Apart from a couple of rounds, uh, we've got the one in Warsaw, which is uh, happening in May, and of course Cardiff has been announced for um, the middle of August. And apart from that, we're not sure where we're heading yet. So have you heard any whispers, Kelvin, as to where the Grand Prix might be heading this year? I'd be very surprised if there aren't three Grand Prix in Poland. That's been sort of. Uh, pretty much every season we've gone there. They have switched around. We've had Grand Prix in Lezno before. Um, we then moved to Wrocław and then Gorzów got dropped and then it's back. And I think clubs out there are very keen to run them because they quite clearly they're prepared to, prepared to take the financial risk of running them. Um, and with the, the chances that they're going to fill the stadiums, obviously they're, they're in a pretty strong position there. I would think Voins will be back. Melilla in Sweden probably be back. 
Um, Prague is a, a regular, isn't it? It's it's pretty much there every year. I think pretty much. I think it's only missed one or two seasons since '95. So um, the only one that I've heard a whisper about is Australia. Maybe Australia in 2024. Um, and there is no doubt that there is pressure on Discovery um, to take it outside Europe. So they've got to do something there. Um, but I think. There is a delay in the calendar being announced at the moment. We've got one round. Round one is in August the seventeenth on on the on the app. Um, <laughs> so yes. uh, it looks like it's going back to a traditional World Cup final. <laughs> um, but uh, I was going to say it's going it's going to make for a, a hell of an August yeah. for you, isn't it? You're going to be uh, cramming in t- ten rounds in, uh, in in three weeks. Yeah. I was going to say we're going to be out every night, but. Um, it's, uh, but I, I sense the traditional venues that we've become accustomed in the last uh, few years will be back. As I say, I think the real big news that everybody's waiting for in the background is, is when are we going to go down under? And I think that's, and there's obviously talk about going to Las Vegas in America, but that won't be before 2025. Um, but whether in 24 we can get down to Sydney or Melbourne or wherever then I think that would be something that um, would uh, sort of spice the calendar up somewhat. I think as well with uh, Darcy Ward now promoting events in Australia as well, um, obviously his own events, but then there's the the Australian Championships as well. He's involved in a few tracks there, isn't he now? And someone like him could, could help you know get the get the job done a little bit easier especially with his connections with monster and and all that sort of side of it and 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 bring a a new look to to the you know a a grand prix venue or some one of those venues to be a grand prix venue down there yeah possibly i i I don't quite know to what degree darcy's involved with motorcycle australia and and how they go about that but he is a figurehead he's well known he's well respected so um, they would be wise to use him in that in that role, I'm sure. But I I think that the traditional speedway venues in Australia, I think most of the promoters aren't keen on running a Grand Prix. They haven't been financially that successful there. So I do know from Discovery's point of view, they will need to have good partners. They're going to need support from the state that they're in, that they're going to run in, whether it's New South Wales, Queensland, um, South Australia, whatever it is. But I would suggest that a temporary track, probably a modern day stadium would be my sort of educated guess on a, on a Grand Prix down under. You know, of course, when we were in Melbourne, I mean, the stadium was just fabulous, but it was just a bit too big. It was a bit too big. You know, it was like a 100,000 capacity. You know, it was fantastic. It was a, a Aussie rules football stadium, but it was brilliant and I was lucky enough to go there but um uh, yeah I'd, I'd I'd like to think that we would go to Australia but I think apart from that Ian I think I think pretty much it will be you know we'll probably start late in April and crack on as we have done in recent seasons the 11th of May is the date for Warsaw back at the Narodovi and uh, maybe around is it did we have a round before that last time uh it wasn't this year it was the first round was in uh, Godashan in um, where were we in, uh, in Croatia? So um, we've been there the last two years, which was at the end of April, um, and they seem quite comfortable going there. It's the Pavlic family, isn't it? 
Um, so they've been running it and they've, they've run two Grand Prix in the last two years, um, having won some previously. But um, it, I wouldn't be surprised if we start there again, actually. Yeah, so it could be looking the uh, the end of uh, April, but I'm sure that'll all be confirmed all in good time. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the, the, the Premiership and um, your British adventures as well, because that was quite a... Quite a dramatic end to things in oh. the uh, in the speedway season this year. The Sheffield Tigers ultimately finally got that uh, top league title under their belts that they've been uh, so close to winning a number of times, but uh, finally got there. Although it was a little bit closer than they would have liked. Let's go back though, looking at the the playoff situation um, in the Premiership because uh, Sheffield. Uh, they had to get past Wolves first up, and Ipswich and Bellevue faced each other in the in the, in the semi-finals, didn't they? And uh, you know, obviously the top sides there. The real surprise, though, Ipswich getting in right at the death. And in fact, they needed a bit of help from the Peterborough Panthers, ironically, who spent much of the season at the bottom of the league. And then they got themselves going, became unbeatable at home, really. And Chris Harris, who else, has a hand in uh, in knocking out his former side. You couldn't make it up. We ought to be selling this script to Hollywood because the Chris Harris story is quite remarkable. And we'll go into that in a bit more detail. But yes, the way Ipswich actually clinched their spot in the top four was extraordinary. Leicester, I think Leicester sort of sort of panicked a wee bit when they got beaten by Ipswich when we were there and they'd been on a run of eight victories and then they got beaten and then they made some team changes and they really sort of lost their way and they lost their rhythm. And then to go to Peterborough where Peterborough needed to beat them by, what, 24 was it? I think it was 24 points on aggregate or something like that. Yeah, it was um, a 24-point lead. They needed to get to 34 points on the night. Uh, that, was, that was the marker they needed to get to. They didn't do it. And obviously, it was dramatic stuff. And, of course, a rider that had been released, Chris Harris, by Leicester, then obviously helps, you know, you couldn't write that. Then he knocks them out. So Ipswich getting in, it was quite a fantastic journey. They they then go on and win the Knockout Cup against Sheffield. So they're on a high. Um, the first Monday, the first leg of the first semi-final is rained off. So the first leg ended up being on the Thursday. And Ipswich, in challenging conditions at Foxhall Heath, put in a really good performance. They looked like they were just going to walk it. You know, 18-point lead after the first leg. To be perfectly honest, a lot of the Bellevue boys just didn't get to grips with it at all. And then the following Monday, obviously, we had a double header because we had Sheffield racing at Mommel Green. We were keeping an eye on that. And in truth, I was a bit disappointed that I wasn't at Mommel Green because I fancied that um, Ipswich were going to win relatively comfortably with the lead they had. Um, as it turned out, it was quite a remarkable night. Um, they went 22 points behind after four races, Bellevue. And when we went to Heat 15, there was just two in it. And Heat 15 at Bellevue was the race of the season. Incredible race. Kurtz, Bewley, Saifutinoff and Doyle. What a speedway race that was. And what a way to conclude it. And Ipswich hung on and got through by, again, again, they got in by the skin of their teeth. You know, it was just it's staggering stuff. And then, of course, Sheffield, with this patch-up team, guess galore, they beat the Wolves by 10 points at Monmoy. So the semi-finals were unpredictable, dramatic, um, and 
exciting, whereas the previous season they, they hadn't been. But um, so yeah, there we are. We've got Ipswich and Sheffield in the final, and I think Bellevue would feel Bellevue would feel gutted. I think because having had such a good regular season and then to come just just come up short, I would think that they must have felt. They, they were, must have been down in the dumps about that. Yeah, and then we moved on to the semi-finals. And of course, Ipswich march on and Ipswich uh, had a job to do against the Bellevue Aces, which again, another close meeting that that turned out to be as well. Sheffield faced Wolves home and away. But the real story was injuries that that came into well to all, all sides really in some respects I think uh, through the course of the season but particularly of course Sheffield uh, who lost I think it was five riders uh, all in all um, particularly with um, Jack Holder who was replaced by Ty Woffenden both suffering big injuries on, on you know on world level events Tobias Musilak with with a broken leg massive injury at the end of the season um, you also had Klaus Vissing out with with a knee problem Dan Jilks of course still out as well so really the side was decimated um, Robert Lambert came in to the Sheffield Tigers and of course, that went down <laughs> different ways in different parts of the country, really, with the Bellevue fans saying, oh, it's interesting now that uh, it's all came from to ride in the, in the playoffs. But of course, it was a completely different set of circumstances. Um, and then, who else do you call on for the grand final? But that man again, bomber, playoff bomber, back to the rescue. <laughs> exactly. And, and Chris Harris, you know, he, he actually helped him mm. switch through <laughs> to, the, to the final. And then, of course, he's, he's he's actually then racing against them in the grand final shootout at uh, Allerton on the second leg. I mean, he 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 just it's he had and, and what a performance! He was brilliant at Foxall Heath on that first leg against Bellevue. He scored a whole with Jason Doyle out, and he did remarkably well. He did the Doyle, he did the the job that Doyle was going to do. He then did um, a great job. Of course, um, riding subsequently, but then, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking, well, Ipswich have got this lead. Sheffield were a bit shell shocked after that, you know. To I me, mean? they looked a bit down in the dumps. Fair play to them; they never threw the talent. They were immediately on the front foot at the conclusion of the first leg. I was listening to Josh Pickering in an interview. Simon Stead, this isn't over, and they remained very upbeat. And by golly, did that! proved to be the the case because they came out all guns blazing in very challenging conditions the rain came down throughout the evening in Sheffield and they just kept coming at them and really by about heat eight Ipswich needed to try and steady the ship they needed a heat advantage at that midway point just to stem the tide of what the the Tigers were throwing at them but they couldn't do it they just couldn't do it and you know, brilliant performances from Chris uh, Chris Holder had had a nightmare first leg. He turned up in the second leg. He rode out of his skin. Pickering was brilliant. You know, Lambert was doing his scuff. And that man again, what's his name? His name is Chris Harris. Chris Harris is out there doing his stuff. Difficult night. It's raining cats and dogs. Harris doesn't care. He's just giving it his all. So um, this huge turnaround and a dramatic finish and fair play to the Tigers never won it at the highest level they managed to do it you had to feel for Ipswich 
It was like deja vu, but they couldn't quite save the day in the end. Um, but uh, in difficult conditions, Ian, that was a pretty pretty decent way to finish the season. Pretty, and, and the score chart, the scoreboard kept it really exciting. Chris Harris has had a tremendous season and we had an interview with him uh, last week where we talked to him about you know the playoffs. I mean, he's, he's he's great. You know, most meetings, isn't he? You very rarely see him have a bad one. But um, we said, what is it about the playoffs? And he and he said, you know, he sort of likes the a bit of added pressure. Sort of brings out the best in him, really. And he's had a terrific season, and he's performed in the high pressure environments. You know, he won the um, the championship pairs the night before Cardiff with Ben Basso riding for Glasgow um, he's won the league title with Glasgow in the championship he's also helped Sheffield win the um, premiership title as well I know he only rode for them for one meeting but it was a big meeting came second in the world in the long track as well I think this is one of the best seasons that he's ever had really Chris Harris and he really performs in these in these high pressure uh, environments. Absolutely and he's proven it it's not just like in the last year or two. I mean he's been doing this for over a decade. I remember when Coventry won the league I think it was back in 2010 he did it then. I mean he just becomes a gladiator. He just just he just ups his game. It really gets the juices flowing for him. And he focuses in and he produces some stunning performances and real, you know, that bulldog really, you know, never say die attitude really comes shining through. He's not, he actually relishes the challenge of a playoff rather than being intimidated by it. And I think um, uh, that's why he's always clearly like this year, very high demand. It does then make you wonder why he was released by Leicester. Do you know what? I I think it was a numbers game and I think, um, with the loss of, of Nick Morris, which is where it all stems from. And I don't think Leicester would have made any, or certainly any major changes, uh, were it not for um, that Nick Morris situation that came along and, and one thing led to another. And to make the averages fit, I think they just juggled things around. I think Stuart Dixon has sort of said in since then that maybe, maybe he might... Maybe he might not make that decision again if he had his time again to do that. I would, I would be pretty confident on saying that he wouldn't. Um, I think the changes he made didn't work. Craig Cook and Richie Worrell coming in, they didn't set the world on fire. Cook obviously had his had his own personal issues, and that just didn't happen. Uh, Richie Worrell, steady rider, probably feeling that he probably thought that he would do a better job than Harris. You know, in Stewart's defence, I would suggest that that Chris hadn't had a great run at um, Leicester. I think he was finding it difficult adapting to the the track, his home track. But, you know, it's so difficult. You know, in hindsight, you'll probably think, well, crikey, I, I did the wrong thing there, particularly when you look at the form at the back end of the season. But Harris is one of those guys, he, he never knows when he's beat. He's always going to be trying. Um, so there we are. But, yes, Leicester obviously had... You know that you can't legislate for riders sort of failing drug tests, um, and that made it awkward. But possibly a little bit more patience at that time may have proved to be. But they had other riders like Sedgman sort of lost a bit of form as well. And you know, to me, they just after having had that fabulous run, they just seemed to stall a bit. And that, and obviously Morris then being withdrawn seemed to unsettle the team. 
Yeah, and and that was really where it all stemmed from, as as I mentioned before. And uh, Peterborough ultimately having a say in that, and uh, that brings us nicely on to a couple of clubs that unfortunately we're not going to be seeing uh, in action next season. And obviously the hope is for them to one day come back sooner than later. And I know that there's a big plan with Wolves to to get that underway as soon as possible, but it won't be in time for next season. So they're effectively at this moment having a year out while they they sort out their future. Uh, Peterborough there's been a lot written about them um let's talk about those two clubs because always sad when when clubs disappear but particularly the size of those two clubs in question um you know league winners in in recent times as well uh, leaving the uh, the premiership yeah exactly and 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 it's it's not good news we've sort of been Peter has been on the sort of a bit of a rocky foundation for some time shaky foundation for some time um so I don't think that was such a shock, although, as you rightly say, there is still a question mark about it. There is a possibility that, that it may continue. Um, we will wait and see on that. Monmore, racing at Monmore Stadium, no. And that was a massive shock for that stadium and Chris Van Stratton to be informed just as the season was starting that he had to vacate at the end of October. Um, I'm sure that was devastating and... Um, I, I, I feel for Wolverhampton, you know, they are a successful team, a professionally run outfit. So um, let's hope that they can find a new spot and they can come back in years to come. You know, what frustrates me about places like Coventry and maybe potentially now P- Peterborough, the showground, if they sit empty and then nothing happens there for years on end. We had it at Oxford where the place didn't have Speedway for 15 years. And now all of a sudden, it's all up and running again. And, and you sort of question why, 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 you know, circumstances. It just seems frustrating that we couldn't have continued to race in those stadiums. Um, so, yeah, not ideal because we would then go down to five teams for the Premiership. So then you have to start thinking about who potentially might come up into the league. Birmingham is being rumoured to come up into the league that's I've heard that more than once or twice you'd like you'd probably look at maybe potentially it's a it's a it's a midland spot not that far from Wolverhampton it gives those fans an opportunity to see speedway on a regular basis um maybe some of the riders will go there as well but um ideally you could you know we really want more than six really ian i think from my point of view, I'd like to think that you could get eight, ideally, but whether teams like Paul Glasgow, Oxford will come up, only time will tell, but I would think all these scenarios will be considered. Well, we had um, Peter Fasena on the official British Speedway podcast last week and he confirmed that uh, Glasgow will be staying in the championship. I know that from speaking to Danny Ford as well that there's no appetite for the Pool Pirates to go back to the top level of Speedway either. Oxford, I think there is potentially some interest there. Um, Whether they're going to act on it this season or not, I don't know. But um, certainly I think... um, you know, if, if if of those three, if if any of them would, I think it probably would be Oxford first. Yeah, and Oxford, talking to Scotty Nichols, who I've been working with throughout the season on the TV, he rides for the Cheetahs. He says it's a smashing place. You know, the place has been knocked back into shape. It looks good. Um, nice little track. So don't see any concerns 
about stepping up in that regard. It's just whether they, they fancy to do it. I'd like them to come back up because it's nearer my home. It's not such a long journey. <laughs> yes, there is definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> Purely from a selfish point of view. I don't, I don't agree entirely with Peter Fasena's view on that the Speedway public will come um, anyway and people outside um, don't know who Ty Woofenden is or Jason Doyle is. I don't subscribe to that entirely. There is no doubt that at every venue Saifutinoff and Doyle go to and Ty Woofenden, they put bums on seats. They put bums on seats. Damien Bates, he said that there was a significant rise in the attendances at Allerton and everywhere they went because Woofenden was riding. So bum, uh, stars put bums on seats and I think in Glasgow they would get an upturn in their crowd if they had a Saifutinov or a Janowski or a Wolfenden up there. I don't doubt it, and I think it would generate an excitement. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, it would, and and they have actually at Glasgow, they, they have... Um, had polls before. Obviously, Marsha Novak has been with them for uh, for a couple of seasons, and and that has brought in undoubtedly some some Polish fans. I'm sure Vadim Tarasenko's done a similar job as well. So, um, I'm I'm sure that it would bring in. I think it's just versus what they would normally get when they're competing against football matches and stuff like that. Maybe is the, is also the other question too. Um, if Glasgow ever did move up to the top league, Kelvin, I mean, it's a long way for you to go. You'd have to fly, get the old private jet. Oh, oh no, without question, I'd have the private jet all fueled up and and rearing to go. I think I'd just pop down to Shoreham, Shoreham, five minutes down the road, and and just pop along. No, that would be a flight, definitely. But I'd I'd love to go back there. We went there a few times when I was working with Sky. Fantastic stadium. The Fasenas have done a brilliant job there. They invested heavily. Um, and they take it seriously. And, and I admire a lot of what they do at Glasgow. I really do. And I'd love to see them in the Premiership. I just think that if they came in the Premiership with a top rider like a Janowski or, or a Wolfenden, that type of rider, I think that they would see an upturn in, in crowds. But I get the race night also. It's a valid argument. You know, people want to go at Fridays or a Wednesday. They don't want to go on a Monday or a Thursday. Um but uh, how that can be overcome, I'm not entirely sure. That's that's not for me to decide. But um, I would like to see Glasgow in the Premiership because, for the reasons I've already stated, it's a good place, good track. They get good racing there. It's exciting to watch Speedway there. So um, you imagine seeing Saifutinov, Doyle, Janowski, uh, and another, you know, Chris Harris in Eat Thirteen, you know, on a, on a on a Premiership night. That'd be exciting stuff. But um, sounds like we're going to have to wait for that. Yeah, they, you know they, they have done a, a, a huge amount of work, and I saw a video uh, on YouTube f- from Glasgow, say ten years ago, and and the place was just you know overgrown around the back of the the track. Now they've got this nice pits area; it's all done up. There's standing seat. They've got seating on the on the third bend now, which was never there before. Terrific venue, and they're actually developing it yet further. Um, the they were sharing it with the football club. Now the football club have moved out, so it is going to be purely a, a speedway or a motorsport venue now. And they're actually over the course of this winter, they're going to rip up the infield and they're going to put in a training track inside the main track. I think it's going to be a two hundred meter track on that infield 
you know, for kids and, and, and youngsters or, or anyone uh, to, to come along and, and practice and, and learn Speedway. And they're, they're launching a, a Speedway Academy at Glasgow that's going to run there and in the hope that they can create their own talent that way and um, and not necessarily have to scour scour everywhere to, to, to find the best riders and, and have a natural sort of production line in, in time. And I think that's fantastic. You know, that, that sort of initiative in the club and the way they're forward thinking, I think, you know, it's long overdue. And as I say, I credit the Facenas for doing that. And I, I like the fact that they have remained enthusiastic. You know, they came in some time ago when we went there and they, they spent all that money and they put a lot of effort in behind it and it paid off. You know, it was exciting times going there. So who knows? I'd like to think in the future that we would see them at the highest level, challenging, you know, at the playoffs and, and going for a league title. It, who knows? But um, fair play. They, they've won the championship for the first time. Uh, they had to grind away at that. They were knocking on the door for a long time, but they've finally come through. So, um, And that man, Harris, at the forefront of everything. Um, and certainly a special, a special moment for him to clinch that as well down at Poole. I don't know if you've seen the videos, actually. Chris Harris is not known as Bomber anymore. He was, he was telling me uh, when I did an interview with him last week that he's now known as Cruiser's dad, which is his son, who's three. Um, Cruz Harris has been getting some bike time. He's got a little uh, electric, uh, sort of these Revy bikes, electric, basically he's treating it like a Speedway bike. He's got um, a three-year-old's size uh, Great Britain race suit made. Uh, he's got his helmet, he's got his goggles, and he's been out at a few of the meetings. The Peterborough farewell, he, they let him do um, a couple of laps on his little bike around Peterborough before and went from the tapes and everything, and the whole crowd was cheering him on. And now he's got a taste for it. He turns up at events, he's signing autographs, um, he's asking where his pit bay is, and uh, <laughs> wants to get changed Brilliant. in the changing rooms with everyone. So he's uh, certainly... Uh, a chip off the old block, and uh, <laughs> maybe the next, we're going to be seeing more Harris in Speedway over the years, potentially. There, oh, well, it sounds very much like it. I think he'll probably be doing the SGP4, SGP3, SGP2. Um, he'll be going <laughs> flying through the ranks, but um, no, it's it's really sweet that, and uh, you know, it's it's great, it's a great, nice little touch for somebody. You know, Harris deserves it. I mean when you think about how long he's been doing it and he still remains really enthusiastic. And I think it rubs off on people around him. You know, there's no doubt about that, but um, no, he's had a terrific run of form and had a smashing season. He's, he's got, he's had a season that he's rightly should be very proud of. So um, uh, um, uh, congratulations to him. But um, I think before we wrap up on this, I, I'd just like to say well done to Sheffield Speedway. Simon Stead clearly was so determined to win he pulled it off. They were overjoyed having come so close the previous year, which was desperately disappointing for them. And the first time in their history winning the Premiership, it's a special moment for that club. So uh, Damien, Mark and Simon and all the all concerned, Peter Mole, it's a good, it's a good team of people there. Yeah, they've been solid all all, uh, all season up until the injuries, of course. But I think you know guests and all this kind of stuff. You know that that's part of the sport. You know, part of the skills of the promoters of the team managers to to identify, you know, those replacements as well. And and one of those 
was uh, was Chris Harris. And uh, just to round things off, it has been the year of the Tiger uh, with uh, the Sheffield Tigers and the Glasgow Tigers winning the top two leagues. And what binds them together was uh, the, uh, the rider to uh, help seal it for both sides, for both sets of Tigers, was, of course... Chris Harris, as we uh, as we round things off as we started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, no, good good times, and as I say, brilliant for both of them. So as I, I I didn't see the the Glasgow one, but but the way Sheffield came back, I I, I felt for Chris Louie and Richie Hawkins. You know that was tough to take, but they were they were very very gracious in defeat, and I'm sure they'll re- reflect on their season with more positives than negatives, that's for sure. And I'd like very much to see, you know, Emil Saifutinov has been a joy to watch this year overall. He really has. So, um, and I know he's very keen to come back. So that's, let's keep our fingers crossed that that can happen. Yeah. Now it's uh, the AGM coming up very soon where things are going to get confirmed. I think a number of team managers already have a rough idea of what's uh, likely to lie in wait. But uh, that time of the season now where riders are trying to find a place in a team and, um, and look at uh, plans for, for next season. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time from that point of view now, or a nervous time, depending on who you are. It, it can be quite nerve-wracking because, you know, you know riders at Monmore Green, Wolverhampton, they're out of, out of a job. Um, and there's always this uncertainty at this time of year, not quite sure which, you know, even, even as a top rider, you're never completely comfortable and confident that you're going to be going back. You've still got to negotiate. You've still got to go through that. So there is some uncertainty there. Obviously, the AGM will be very important as it is annually. Make sure the point limit stays somewhere similar. To be honest, the point limit needs to go up a little bit, in truth. I I think that would help. Um, But regarding, I think the, the, the number one thing is making sure we've got enough teams in the premiership. You know, from that point of view, that that needs to be very much at the forefront. I'm sure it is at the forefront of everybody's minds. But... um, um, uh, maybe we'll do another podcast on the reflecting on exactly how that all turns out, Ian, you know, and have a, a little bit more of a chit chat about that. I think that could be quite good. But right now, I think it's been a it's been a good it's been a good season. I think we had a lot of rain offs at the beginning of the year, which was tough to take. We obviously, from my point of view, I started late on Eurosport, but uh, um, I obviously was the Midas touch because the sun came out and we got going. And uh, and. Um, we had a we had a brilliant we had a much improved British uh, Grand Prix this year the track was much better we didn't have a British winner this time but the the meeting I think overall was much improved from last year and we've had a great conclusion with the playoffs so um, uh, from that perspective it's been a success yeah, it's it's going to be interesting what what happens for next year, and I think you're right. It would be good to talk about the AGM and and what comes out of it and any rule changes because I think. This year, you know, Phil Morris felt that obviously he came into things fairly late, didn't really have chance to to make any changes. I think this year that they're going into next year, there will be some alterations based on his experiences this year. I think it, it could be interesting in a good way, some different innovations. Um, and maybe, I don't know, he did mention when I interviewed him earlier in the season that he was looking to maybe unify the rules in this country versus, say, Poland to, to, to make things standard across the board. So you can read between the lines there maybe of, of things that happen elsewhere in the world versus that, that don't happen here and, and maybe uh, how things might run. So... 
we'll we'll find out anyway when when that's done. But um, I think it could be interesting and, and maybe some quite uh, you know significant maybe not not massive but um significant uh you know changes that that are going to affect all meetings yeah yeah exactly so um it'll be good to reflect on that and sort of give an opinion and sort of like bounce it around um so yeah that'll be something to to sort of get our teeth into once once they're all dust and done and dusted as i say um there are some big decisions to make when teams are closing or clubs are closing obviously that's a major concern so that's that's got to be uh, something that that will take uh, that'll take some knocking around. That 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 won't be just a five minute job that to do that. But I think there are fortunately, I think I think there's a will to make it happen. There's no question about that. I think the uh, AGM is happening in Tenerife, if I've uh, if I've heard that right. So maybe we should go and camp outside the hotel, Kelv, and get get the gossip. Sounds like a good a good business trip. I I I, I think I know it's a tough job, Ian, but somebody's got to do it flying down to just as the weather's turning here and the temperature's plummeting and we've got to go down there and suffer the 25 30 degree heat sat outside with a beer waiting for us to talk to somebody sounds dreadful sounds dreadful but we'll we'll do it we'll do it we'll dig dig i think i think if we really put our minds to it (laughs) we could do it (laughs) all right well between now and then then probably in the next month or so we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll reconvene and and um see what's happening once we know but uh, i think they are looking to get that done in the next uh, in the next few weeks so um hopefully we will have news sooner than later on on all fronts looking forward to 2024 uh right rest and recuperation for you then kelvin for a couple of weeks so you can go and hibernate and uh, and get ready for for the new season before you know it yes i'm gonna have a short break very soon and then um, just exactly, yeah, switch off a little bit and um, just keep, uh, you know, one eye on what's going on. But certainly, yeah, recharge the batteries. It's a bit, it was a busy end of the season, so it was quite intense towards the, uh, the back end there with the playoffs and three Grand Prix in September. But um, no, it was exciting stuff. But um, yeah, and then recharge and, and look forward to 24. Awesome stuff. Well, good good work through the course of the year as well. You've brought some big moments in Speedway to so many people as well. And uh, here's to, to the next year ahead as well, which is uh, also going to be another exciting one. Yeah, you know, obviously it's it's a privilege to be able to sort of just be at those events where it all happens. So it's been exciting times. And as I say, next year, let's hope it's every bit as good. Um, yeah, as I say, we, we haven't got all the information. I'm sure if we come back after the AGM, we might have a full calendar for the Grand Prix that we can reflect on. Maybe Australia will be on there as well. So um, that will be something to, to, to reflect on and see exactly how it pans out. But uh, yeah, as I say, um, I think everybody's quite happy to have a bit of downtime now. And then all of a sudden Christmas yeah, Christmas comes and, and people are looking forward. They're looking at their team they've got, what sort of chances. There's plenty to chat about. Well, cheers, Calv. Always a pleasure, and uh, catch you soon. We will do. Thank you very much, Ian. Cheers.